Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Our series is called Making Heaven More Crowded, but instantly there should be an asterisk there because you and I can't make heaven crowded because heaven will never be crowded. Jesus said this on the night of his arrest in John 14, 2. He said, there is more than enough room in my father's house. If there's anyone listening under the sound of my voice, whether you're in North Auditorium, South Auditorium, on television, online, if you don't go to heaven, it won't be because heaven was too crowded. Heaven has plenty of room for you. Wouldn't it be a mistake not to go? Wouldn't it be a mistake for your best friend? Wouldn't it be a mistake for your worst enemy not to go? Because there's plenty of room in heaven. So when I use the title of the series, Making Heaven More Crowded, you understand what I mean by that. But let me start by asking you a question. And I want to talk to those of you who have already invited Jesus Christ into your life. And I know some of you did it just this week. So let me say for those of you who maybe a little bit longer have known Jesus, Have you ever helped anybody enroll in heaven? Did you ever pray with somebody? Did you ever reach out and take someone's hand when that person invited Jesus Christ into their life because you shared Jesus with them? Or did you bring someone to New Spring and you said, well, I'm not really sure too well how to explain it, but you need to come to my church or come to Kids World. And you saw them walk out with the box. I have friends, I have New Springers tell me, walk over to my office with tears streaming down their eyes and said, Mark, I invited somebody I worked with and I never thought that person would be interested in God. And they came one time and they walked out with a box and they prayed with you. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever helped anybody enroll in heaven? And I I pick that verb very carefully because in Philippians chapter three, I think I just shared this verse with you a couple of weeks ago. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. So consequently, when you encourage someone to come into the family of God, you have enrolled them in heaven, and they can never be unenrolled. Well, I know some of you grew up in church like I did, and I hear your voice, even though you may not be saying it out loud. You're saying, Mark, this is not my first rodeo. This is not my first church service. I know what you're talking about. You're talking about evangelism. And I took a class in that once, and I didn't do it because, A, it was scary, B, it sounded like a memorized sales pitch. I was afraid somebody would ask me a question that I didn't know the answer to. Or if you're a little younger and you might be more of the millennial generation, uh, you might maybe have a little bit more postmodern perspective on evangelism and you might say, I I think it's wrong to share one's faith with someone who doesn't uh, believe the same thing I do. Jesus works for me. You know, Christianity works for me, but it might not work for somebody else. And the reason why I bring that up is because in a recent study, half of millennial Christians believe that it's somewhat at least wrong to share one's faith with someone who's part of another belief system. One more time, let me go through that. Half of millennial Christians believe it's somewhat wrong to share our faith with someone who doesn't believe what we believe or what the Bible says. And it's because of these reasons and maybe even some others that many Christ followers have never helped anybody enroll in heaven. And yet, the person we claim is our Lord, the person we claim to follow, said 
well, this is probably the simplest way he said it. I mean, it's broader in the book of Matthew, but in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and give good news to everyone. I mean, that's what we call the Great Commission. I mean, when Jesus is leaving town, he's already died, he's already resurrected from the grave, he's giving last-minute instructions to the early church, which is at that point comprised of his disciples, and he's saying, go into, go into the world, tell everybody the good news about Jesus Christ. Well, what if we could start from scratch today? For those of you who've recently accepted Christ and you're saying, Mark, I'm not really sure I know what you're talking about with all the misconceptions. Good. I mean, I, I was blessed to grow up in a traditional church because I learned some things, but there's still some stuff I'm trying to work through. So if you're saying, Mark, I'm new to faith, and, and when you talk about crazy misconceptions, it's new, hey, you can get on the ground floor and get it right from the beginning. And for the rest of us who have been given a sales pitch and it left us cold or we were afraid somebody would ask us a question we couldn't answer. What if we could go back to scratch and go right back to the word of God and say, what does it mean to help somebody enroll in heaven? What if we could erase all the crazy things we've heard in church on that subject? By the way, wouldn't that be something if you could erase all the crazy junk you've heard in church? I'd be a rich man if I had a nickel for all the stupid stuff I've heard said in church. I'll go a step further. I'd be rich if I had a nickel for all the stupid things I've said in church, you know? <laughs> Well, let's start with this, because if we're going back to scratch and we're going to talk about sharing the good news with somebody and seeing them enroll in heaven, I really believe this is the place to start. There is no feeling in the life of a Christian like praying with someone who just accepted Christ. For those of you who, when you accepted Christ, it was the most wonderful feeling in the world. And then as you become a Christian for a while, it's like you sort of lose that you sort of lose that moment. I mean, you remember what it was like to just feel that you were forgiven and know that you were going to heaven and have the peace of God. It was just this incredible feeling. And then, you know, a year, two, three after you're a Christ follower, you're glad you're saved, you're glad you're going to heaven, but you kind of lost that feeling. There is nothing that will bring it back like praying with somebody who accepted Christ. I remember taking a young college student when I was in Houston and praying with a young, we went, we went into the house of a young man and I shared the gospel and this young man heard the gospel, and, and, and this college student who was a member of my class at my church, when we got into his car, he said, I was wishing I was lost so I could get saved again. Well, you don't have to do that. But when you share the good news of Jesus, no feeling in the world, and it brings it all back. So for the next three weeks, we're going to let go of the guilt and the fear and the confusion that we've ever picked up in church. And if you're new, you can bypass all the craziness and start filling up heaven. So here we go. Let's start from scratch. Many Christ followers, and let me just take a time out for a moment. I really do believe that when half of millennial Christians say they believe that evangelism is somewhat wrong, I don't think they're talking about evangelism. I think they're talking about somebody else, and I get their point. So here's, let's, 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 let's make this clear. Many Christ followers worry about sharing Jesus because they confuse the word evangelize with proselytize. And, and, and as I say, I think a lot of times when young millennials hear about evangelism, they, what they're thinking about is proselytize. And that's understandable because proselytizing is a bad thing. Let's define it. To proselytize means to induce someone into becoming a convert to one's faith. Or a second definition is to recruit someone to someone's party. Well, you and I here at New Spring, we take the halos off and we just blow through the smoke and we understand that what we're talking about with those two definitions is another form of politics. It's just, it says something like this, my religion is better than yours, hear my sales pitch. 
Well, that's not at all what evangelism is in the Bible. But I think when a lot of us push back against evangelism, that's what we hear. We're hearing, my religion is better than your religion. But hey, at New Spring, we're not into religion anyway. We're not talking about a religion. This is not a religious book. This is a book where our God offers an extraordinary opportunity. Oh, I'm giving it away, what I'm about to talk about. So let's say that. Let's go, let's go there. If evangelism isn't proselytizing, what is it? What's the distinction? Let's change the subject. Let's talk about some, something completely else, different, okay? You need a new car. Um, let's say you've got several members of your family and you've determined that the best car for you is an SUV. And you price them. And that hurt. And the one you're looking at, $40,000. Can you believe cars cost as much as they used to? Our first house was $50,000, and it was a brand new house. Boy, I'm giving away my age. <laughs> and this thing's going to cost you $40,000. It's going to stretch your budget, but you're like, i got to have a car. So you go down to the dealership, and, you get to the, and, and you're going to really have to suspend your imagination to work with me because the salesman or salesperson there says to you, you know what? This dealership's been in Wichita for a long time. Our ownership has decided we're going to give something back to the community. For the next three hours, we can sell you a brand new SUV for half cost. It'll just cost you $20,000. No, zero interest. All you have to do, sign and drive. You're saying to yourself, what a deal. Half price, $20,000, brand new SUV. You're driving away. Smell that new leather. Oh, and, you, and it feels tight and smooth. It's not like your old car has got the rattles and the vibrations and, you know, the tears and the upholstery. It's a new car. Half price. What would you do? I know what you'd do. I mean, after all, you want to go drive it around, but you've got good friends, don't you? You've got friends that need a car. I mean, you know, I'm talking about, you know, you're, I'm talking about your soul, you know, your, 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 your best friend, and you're going to call them and you're going to say, listen, you need to get over this dealership. you got two and a half hours left. They're selling cars for half price. And if you go over there right now, you can sign and drive and no interest payment. Why would you call your best friend? you got good news. you got good news. You don't have to worry that it's not going to be a good time for her to talk. You don't have to worry about the fact that she might be very busy and didn't have time to take that call. you got a time-sensitive offer, half price. you got good news. Well, if you had to loosen your imagination, you're just going to have to take it off right now because I'm going to take you someplace else. Let's say that dealership said for the next three hours, it's free. Brand new car. Won't cost you anything. You don't have to worry about interest because there's no payments. All you got to do is just drive it off the lot. Now, you would call your best friends, but I'll tell you something else you do. You're driving down Kellogg. There's a single mom over there walking with her babies. She doesn't have a car. And you know what you're going to do? I know what you're going to do. You're a new springer. You're going to pull over the side of the road, and you're going to get out and say, ma'am, it looks like you don't have a car, and you and your kids are having to walk. Let me just tell you something. There's a new car dealership right now. They'll give you a car free. And I tell you what, if you'll hop in, I will drive you over there. Can I get a witness on that? Why would you do that? Because after all... You and she may never have met before. You'll never meet again. And on top of that, I mean, you know, pulling over to stop and talk to her, you might interfere with what she's doing. Why would you break social convention? You got good news. You got good news. All right, let's go somewhere else. 
This time, instead of talking about something material like an automobile that'll just last a few years, let's get a little existential. You find a store here in Wichita. Not easy to find. It's a little store, like what we used to call in Texas, a hole in the wall. Little store. Not in a mall, not in a shopping center. But you get over there and they can legit offer you a deal. And the deal goes something like this. We have a package for you. You can buy this package. And in this package, here's the first thing you get. You get innocence. Innocence. I mean, your entire record expunged. I mean, stuff that people know you did and stuff that nobody knows you did. Stuff that you only thought about doing if you'd, you, you'd have done it if you didn't get arrested. Just all the stuff in your life. What if somebody could say, here's the first part of this package, innocence. Man, people are always asking me, how do you forgive yourself? I don't worry about forgiving myself. I worry about being forgiven. Lord knows. Probably the, I know what we're talking about. It's like, how can I go on with the guilt that I've experienced? But let's just say that, some, that someone could offer you innocence. In other words, your record before whoever you're going to have to stand before somewhere out in the future and defend your record, innocence. Well, let's go a step further. Suppose that something else came with that package that's pretty big, and that is you won't die when you die. I mean, you don't, you don't have to worry about, you know, if you've got the doctor says you have a day to live, hour to live, or you're just looking at your watch like you're over here at Eisenhower waiting for your flight. Because as soon as, I, as soon as I die, I'm going to be healthy again. I'm going to have a brand new body. So I, suppose somebody could sell you a package you wouldn't die when you die. Look at what people pay for life insurance when they do die. The, the people they love get taken care of. What would you pay for a policy when you died you didn't die? Well, we're into communications. You know, I know what it's like to go buy a new cell phone. You get a communication package. Suppose they said the third part of this package that we can offer you today is you can talk to the creator of the universe 24 hours, 24 7. Anytime you want to, you can just get on and talk to the creator of the universe who can do anything. And right now, today, for the next three hours, you can buy this package. It's $100,000. Now, I can't get into your head, but I know what I'd do. I mean, my soul. No, innocence? Living forever? Communicate with God. I don't have 100,000. Some of you do have 100,000. You could go to the bank and take it out, and you'd do it. I mean, but, I mean, here's the thing. For a lot of us, we don't have $100,000 cash lying around. You know what we would do? We would mortgage, we'd get a mortgage on our house. I mean, it's not a good idea. We have financial peace coming up, and, and we would know from financial peace this is a really, really bad idea. But, I mean, after all, life after death, we might even run up our credit cards. You know what you do? You call your friends and say, I know $100,000 is a lot of money, but living after you die, innocent, it's $100,000. Get over there in the next two and a half hours and you can buy this. But you know, of course, where I'm going. What if it was free? What if it was free? You know what you would do? You'd go to the jails and you would tell people there. You would go out on the streets and you'd tell total strangers, do you know if you get over there in the next two and a half hours, you can be innocent you can live after you die. Why? Why would you do that? Because you would have good news. I've said all that to say this. If you want to fall in love with the word evangelize, you need to understand that it's the carryover from the Greek language. And when we know what the word means, it will help us understand the difference between proselytizing, which means my religion's better than yours, and evangelize. 
Well, let's start with this. There, and there's too much information. There is no B, the letter V. There's no letter V in Greek. And it comes over to us from Greek. In Greek, it's always a U. It gets translated into V for us. So the prefix of evangelize is U, E-U. Well, E-U means good. It's just a basic Greek word for good. I mean, you ever go to a funeral and hear a eulogy? U, E-U, good, logos, good word. That's what people say when, when you die before they go and eat potato salad. They come and they say good things about you. You logos. Well, evangelize comes from the word you and the word angelos or angelion, which means news, message. See, when we're called to evangelize, we're not proselytizing. We got good news. We're not called to proselytize people. We're called to good news them. I mean, who wouldn't want to tell someone good news? Okay, let's say we buy in. You're new springers. I know it's your heart to follow God. What is it that good news agents, evangelizers, need to know? Well, for the next few moments, I want to just take you to a story in the Bible, and we're going to mine, we're going to extract the lessons from this particular story. There's a guy in the Bible who oftentimes gets called Philip the Evangelist. You'll read about him in the, in the book of Acts. And I don't know exactly why he got called Philip the Evangelist. I mean, there are those who say, well, the Philip here is not the same Philip as Jesus' disciple, so we give him the name Philip the Evangelist to distinguish him from Philip the Apostle. And, and if you grew up in church like I did, you're like, okay, Mark, I know what an evangelist is. It's a guy in a three-piece suit who preaches in a stadium. Well, that would have been Peter. It would not have been Philip because we get to Philip. Philip was more kind of the one-on-one -on -one kind of guy. I mean, you, you, got, you kind of get a clue from his name. You know what great spiritual meaning that Philip is? It means a guy who loves horses. So if you love animals, who knows? You may, you may, be, you may have a brother in Philip. But he was known for good newsing people, and that's why he gets called Philip the Evangelist. So in the beginning of Acts chapter 8, and I don't, I don't have a whole lot of time to develop this, but Stephen has just been stoned to death, and there's great persecution breaking out in the church at Jerusalem. And at that point, the leaders of the church did what Jesus told them to do in the first place, because Jesus said, take the gospel to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. Well, they were just sticking in Jerusalem, but when the persecution broke out, they spread out. Philip went to the place that Jesus told him to go. He went to Samaria. And he started sharing the good news with those people. And the Bible says they were very excited. But there came a point where God said to Philip through an angel, hey, leave Samaria. I got somebody I want you to go talk to. In fact, here's what the Bible just says. Let's read it. We're going to need to read a little bit. So starting in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, if you have a Bible, if you have a cell phone, you can read this with me. Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. I did that a couple of years ago. It's like driving in West Texas. Just take my word for it. <laughs> you know, God said, West Texas is the ugliest place in the world, but I'm going to make it up to him by putting oil under the ground. I mean, it just, it's kind of like that. So here's where Philip was like, okay, you know, go south down the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia. Oh my goodness, this is an executive. This is like the secretary of the treasury, one of the most important men in the world. A eunuch of great authority. Now we understand what the word eunuch means, but you need to understand that sometimes the word eunuch had, had this carryover in history where it just meant an executive. It didn't necessarily mean a biological eunuch. He, we just know he's a, a primary executive of a nation. 
This guy had great authority. He was under Kandaki, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone for Jerusalem, heads up New Spring, to worship. He was now returning, seated in his carriage. He was reading aloud from, heads up, the book of Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless somebody instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. Now, you're going to recognize this, those of you who like to study your Bible, you're going to recognize this as the verse from the Old Testament that's most about Jesus. In fact, some of my Jewish friends, in fact, this is a standard practice in, in synagogues. They will read right up to 53 and then not have 50, chapter 53 in their, in their reading. Because as my rabbi friend says, it confuses people. No, it doesn't confuse anybody. It's very clear who this is about. Well, of all things, this, this guy, this Ethiopian executive is reading in Isaiah 53. Now look at this. The passage he read was, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb is silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received, and received no justice for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself oh, or someone else? Now let's just stop there for a moment because that's where the conversation kind of takes a juncture. Here's the Ethiopian, very powerful man, one of the most powerful men in the world, Secretary of Treasury of Ethiopia. And Ethiopia was way bigger than we know of as Ethiopia today. He's trusted. He's brilliant. He went to Jerusalem to worship. We're not told why. We just know that there was something missing in his life, and he thought, if I could just get over to Jerusalem and I could worship, maybe I could find what I'm missing. And he bought a Bible. But after he went over there to worship, it left him cold. He didn't get anything. Have you ever been to worship in, in a church or something and you were trying to make sense of it and you just walked away and like, I have no idea what they were talking about. We most, most of us have had that experience. We were trying. We wanted to connect with God. But we went there and religion got in the way. And this guy, not only did he try to go to worship and not get anything out of it, he bought a Bible, but now he's trying to read the Bible and, and there's stuff in there that he knows is important, but he can't dial it in. And that's when God said to Philip, go talk to him. I just gave you some of the most important lessons that people who want a good news people need to learn. Here's the first one. And I've learned this from pastoring New Spring Church. People are way more interested in Jesus than we can imagine. You see, a lot of us don't share Jesus because they, they wouldn't be interested. How do you know? Because see, people who are interested in Jesus don't always put a sign on their chariot. I mean, it wasn't like this Ethiopian executive had a sign on his chariot that said, somebody come tell me about Jesus. I mean, there's some of us, we would witness if that were the case. All Philip sees is here's a brilliant man, an executive. He's got a lot to do. People are a lot more interested in Jesus than we can imagine. I mean, here's this executive, but now that we know the Bible background, we understand that he had a frustration. He was trying to connect with God. But to Philip, it, it could have just seemed that he was disinterested. He could have sized this guy up and thought he won't be interested. He's from another culture. All he's interested in is, interested in is politics and economics. He's busy. I don't want to bother him. He's hurrying back home. But it would have been such a mistake because this guy was trying 
to connect with Jesus and religion was getting in the way. Now at New Springers, if you know somebody and they don't know Jesus yet, don't take for granted that person is not interested. I can tell you firsthand, so many people who you would look at and size up from the outside and think this person's not interested in God at all. Oh, we can be so wrong. Here's the second thing. Second thing we need to learn. See, Philip did not start God's work in this man's life. God was already working in his life. See, that's the thing. So many times we're reluctant to speak out, but we don't know what God is doing in somebody else's life. I mean, this, there was something in this Ethiopian executive's heart that made him want to worship the true God if he could ever find him. Something made him buy a Bible. Well, I know what that something was. That something was the Holy Spirit of God that was gently pulling him to have a relation with his, relationship with his creator. Lesson number three. New Springers, you don't need this, but I know many of you watch television and you go to a traditional church. And again, like I said, New Springers is, is part of our DNA. But if you, if you come from a traditional church, this is really, really important to understand. Most traditional Christians will never get this. And it's what will just make them completely, basically useless until they die. We meet people where they are. There are a lot of Christians who will share as soon as someone comes completely over to their politics as soon as someone dots all their I's and crosses all their T's, when they prove that they are worthy of me sharing the gospel, when they show evidence of a life that's changed, then maybe I might talk to them about Jesus. Listen to me. We need to remember, of course, New Springers, we know this. We remember who we were before we met Jesus. When many of us came to accept Jesus, there was so much we didn't know. We were wrong about so many things. We just knew we were empty and missing something and somebody came along and told us about Jesus and then the Holy Spirit began to work and a lot of those things that were wrong, the Holy Spirit gently came along and helped us dial in. You know, like I say, you New Springers are looking at me like, well, duh, of course. But it's really important. You meet people where they are. And that means, because here's the thing, we live in an age today that's getting so polarized. We're living in an age where if somebody has different politics than mine, I'm over here and they're over there and we're lobbing stuff back and forth. That is fine if you don't know Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your responsibility, we saw this in the spiritual warfare series, your, your responsibility is to love everybody and to want everybody to know you're Jesus. Because I want to tell you something. Please listen to me. And again, I know New Springers don't deal with this. You can dial your politics exactly in right, whatever that is, and still die and go to hell. Because Jesus is who the difference is. We meet people where they are. Here's the fourth lesson that we need to extract. The core message is always Jesus and not religion. He was reading Isaiah 53, but unfortunately the part that he was reading didn't really take him where he needed to go. I mean, you know, here's what he read. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb is silent before the shears. He didn't open his mouth. He received no justice. Well, this guy, this Ethiopian, he, he, he's very concerned about justice, rightfully so. That is what he does. And he's reading this, and he's like, it looks to me like an innocent man was killed, and I don't understand. Was this the prophet or was it somebody else? Well, Jesus is an innocent man who was killed, but the Ethiopian executive was missing something very important, and that's where Philip gave him the gospel. 
Look at this in Acts 8.35. So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Heads up. Same chapter. What was the good news? But he was pierced for our rebellion. See, Mr. Ethiopian executive, you know he died, and he didn't deserve to die. But let me tell you why he died. Those, thorn, those nails pierced him because we were rebellious. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. But here is the good news. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the crookedness of us all. Sir, it's true, he died. But let me tell you the good news. He died for you, and he died for me, and he died for everybody in the whole world. That is the gospel. Can't ignore this because it's in the text. There's thirdly something here about baptism. Now, I find it significant. Philip didn't ask him about being baptized. He asked Philip. As they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Well, this is interesting. Philip said, and this is in a lot of translations, some translations it's in the margin. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Let's talk about baptism for a moment. Do you need to be baptized in order to be saved? Answer the question, no. There are so many verses that tell us how to be saved that never mention baptism. And when a verse, there are very few that mention both salvation and baptism in the same verse, but it makes sense because baptism instantly follows salvation. Baptism is an external symbol that Jesus asked us to do. See, when I accepted Christ, I was eight years old on the playground in my school in Fort Worth, Texas. If you had seen me pray to receive Christ, you'd have had no idea what was going on in my eight-year-old mind. I was out during recess playing with my friends. Got hot, went over to the water fountain to get a drink. Just as I've been over to get a drink, I remember my dad's sermon the day before. He said, if you will ask Jesus, he will forgive you of all your sins. I was eight years old, but I had quite a rap sheet. <laughs> Take my word on that. I'll tell you a story about that someday. I don't have time to do that, but it's a good one. I've been over that drink of over that fountain to get a drink of water and I got a drink of living water. Because that day I prayed and I asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Now, if you'd have seen that happen, you would have had no idea. You was a hot, thirsty kid on playground of a Forest Hill Elementary School in Fort Worth, Texas, getting a drink. You would not know, it just made the biggest decision of my life. That happens, I think, for most of us. When that light switch comes on and we invite Jesus Christ into our lives. It can be a very private moment and no one can know. But when you are baptized, you're saying, I want everybody to know I'm going public with my faith. Let's talk about this because nothing got screwed up as much in the first two or three centuries of the church more than baptism. It was like one error, one screw up led to another screw up led to another screw up. Next thing you know, we're like trying to untangle years of craziness. Baptism was always meant to be a symbol. But as the centuries rolled around, there came to be this belief, well, then you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Well, we know that's not true because, as I said, there's so many verses that mention salvation without telling you about baptism. Thief on the cross, never baptized. But there were those who said, well, you have to be baptized <clears throat> in order to be saved. <clears throat> well, it wasn't long after that, people started asking the question, well, what about our babies? Because in those days, infants died at a much higher rate, so... Maybe we better get those babies 
baptized. See, there, there are no babies baptized in the Bible. You read the New Testament, there's no such thing as a baby who's baptized. There is no one who is baptized before they accept Jesus Christ. Because, see, baptism is a testimony. You can't give testimony to something that hasn't happened yet. And so the next thing was, well, perhaps we need to get our babies baptized. And then it becomes a practice that's still with us to this day. And then there, was, there were other crazy things that happened. There were those who said, well, no, you shouldn't get baptized as a baby because when you're baptized, you're, all, <laughs> this sounds crazy, but believe it or not, it was believed. Your baptism just washes away all your sins up to that point. After that, you're on the hood. Which is why Constantine didn't get baptized until he died. There were a lot of people like, oh, I'm going to wait till I die so they'll just all be on the right side. See what I mean? A million miles away from this. Now, someone can say, well, Mark, <clears throat> I was baptized when I was a baby. Well, please don't, <clears throat> please don't be negative about that because your parents were just doing what they had been taught. And it was an act of faith on their part. And I really believe God blessed their faith, even though what they were doing wasn't baptism in the biblical sense was. I think God would have honored their faith if they believed they were doing the right thing. But I want to tell you something. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's really important to have the baptism on the right side of your salvation. Because, see, that happened to me. I'll take a few extra minutes here. I shared with you when I was eight years old, I prayed to receive Christ. But when I was six, my parents, well-intentioned though they were, I was playing, I still remember this night very well. I was playing in the living room on my floor with some plastic figures, soldiers, I think. And my dad and mom felt like it was time for me to get serious about being saved. And so dad said, put your toys down. Come over here. I want to talk to you. So he tells me about how you can accept Christ. And he said, well, would you want to pray with me? Well, I was a pretty compliant kid. So I said, sure. And I prayed. And then dad said, well, tomorrow, and in those days, you walk forward in church, especially if you're in a Baptist church, is what I grew up in. At the end of the service, you walked up and you made a public decision. And dad said, tomorrow, when the invitation happens, you come forward and meet me. And then he said, after, this, after that's over, well, I'll take you up into the baptistry and I'll baptize you. I meant to do what my dad and mom wanted me to do. But you know the truth between you and me? I didn't get baptized. I just went down dry and came up wet. <laughs> that is a fact. I didn't even understand salvation. So when I'm eight years old, I make the decision of my lifetime. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. <clears throat> but now I got a problem. I'm the pastor's kid. And everybody knows about me. It's like, well, Mark accepted Jesus when he was six. We saw him baptized. But my issue is I realize my baptism's on the wrong side of my salvation. And I'll tell you something. If you're a Christ follower and you know that you should follow Jesus in baptize, baptism, and you don't do it because it's like, I don't want to be embarrassed or I don't want to be public about this. You will never feel quite right. There's something that just sort of nags that I'm living in disobedience. And I'm ashamed to say it took me six years. I'm 14 years old. I'm sitting in the back seat because all of us cool kids, all of us cool guys sit in the back seat in church, all of us teenage guys. And I mean, I know God's been dealing with me about this for weeks. And in those days, like I said, we had to walk forward in the invitation. I'm glad we don't do that here in the spring. But one thing, we're a little too crowded. But I mean, in those days, and, and so here I am, I'm standing, I'm sitting on the back seat, or standing now in the invitation, and I'm like, this is truth, because I'm trying to get my courage up. I put one foot out in the aisle, 
And then I'd start getting scared and I'd pull it back. I did this. It's like the text, it's the only Texas two-step I ever did. <laughs> I'll never forget the peace that came over me when I went out into the aisle and met my dad at the front and said, Dad, I need to get my baptism on the right side of my salvation. And the peace, the peace that comes. See, here's the thing. Someone could say, well, if you don't have to be baptized to be saved, is baptism all that important? When Jesus left town, he said, here's the great commission. Go into all the world, enroll disciples. That's what we're talking about today. Baptize and teach. So no baptism is important. So I'm going to pull over to the road and stop right now. We'll talk about good newsing people for the next two weeks. Week three, I'm going to come back and give you some practical ways that you can do it. And I understand we don't all have the same personalities. I'm going to talk about how the most effective way to share good news that will work with your personality. That's two weeks from today or, or last night if you come last from Saturdays. But let's talk about some action steps. Well, let's start with where I wound up. You're here and you're a Christ follower and you know that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you need to get your baptism on the right side of your salvation. I would encourage you, don't let, don't let this crazy pride that we have as human beings, don't let it get in the way of that close relationship with Jesus. I mean, here's the thing. It, it would be tantamount to couple getting married and a guy saying to, you know, they're standing here getting married and, and the guy does all the vows and he says, I will take you. And so the preacher now takes the rings out and he says to the woman, will you give this ring to this man? And she says, yes. And then the guy puts his hand up and says, but I won't wear it. Would he still be married? Thankfully, Jesus loves you more than she would. <laughs> Maybe I should say technically, right? <laughs> but there'd be something wrong, wouldn't it? And I think that's what happens. In fact, it's exactly like that because marriage is like a wedding ring. I could be married without a ring, but we married people wear them because they become a physical symbol of an internal change. And so if you're here today and you're like me and you need to get your baptism on the right side of your salvation... You can just take out the New Spring app or you can get on our website and you can, it's, watermark is the term we use and we'll help you get it set up and you can, you can take that important step. Okay, let's take the second action step. You love somebody who's not going to heaven yet. Maybe you work with her. Maybe he's a good friend. It might be somebody in your family. Oh, there's so many New Spring stories of people who had the opportunity to lead their, lead their dad to Jesus or their mom or their kids. Who are you going to determine is the one person you're going to reach out to? Don't let this moment pass and go to lunch and say, well, I'll think about that sometime. My gut tells me if you're a Jesus follower, there's somebody you love who needs Jesus. Lock, lock down. I'm going to listen to these three messages and I'm going to do what it takes to share Jesus with this person. Action step number three. 
you're listening to this message, but you're not sure you're going to heaven yourself. And you know what? You could be just like this Ethiopian executive. You tried to go to church, but religion and those religious people just made you more confused. And you try to read a Bible because you know this is something about God that's important here, but you tried to read it and just couldn't get it to make sense. Or you could have actually been in a traditional church and you got a very skewed view of what it means to follow Jesus. But you're here today and you say, Mark, you remember when you <clears throat> talked about that store that would have innocence and life forever? And communication with God, I want that. I want to be innocent. It would be amazing to be able to look at myself in the mirror and know that my sins were washed away. Mark, I would, I would love to know that no matter what the doctors tell me or what happens to me, I'm going to live when I die. And I would so love to talk to God. I have so many things that are in my heart I just want to tell God. You know, the good news is you can experience that today. You don't have to go to a store. You don't have to pay $100,000. It's free. I'm just giving you the good news. Let me be your Philip. Let me be your Philip. It comes down to this. God loves you very much. I'm not even sure that's the place to start. Let's start here. God knows you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. For those of you who shaved, I just want you to know, he knows how many there would be. <laughs> no, no, joking aside. He knows you. He know, he knows, if he knows what's on top of your head, he knows what's in it. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows what you love. He knows what breaks your heart. He knows what you dream of. He knows you. And he loves you. He loves you more than anybody has ever loved you in the world. You say, Mark, nobody's ever loved me, but he loves you. And he loves you so much that he gave the one thing he could not replace. He could speak anything else into existence, but the one thing he could not replace was his only begotten son, Jesus. And he put him in the world, born as a baby in Bethlehem. We're going to have a series on that starting last week in November, biggest thing I've ever been part of. And he lived that perfect life and then he put him on a cross so that a trade could take place. His perfect life clicked and dragged under my name and my sin clicked and dragged off my shoulders and placed on Jesus on the cross so that when Jesus died those six hours where he hung between heaven and earth, the way God looked at it, he was carrying all my guilt and all my sin and all your guilt and all your sin so that if you pray to receive Jesus, you get this enormous trade, his righteousness, his innocence traded for your sin. And when you invite him to be your Lord and Savior, that marvelous, marvelous trade Jesus made on the cross becomes yours. Three days later, after being brutalized and crucified on a cross, he walked out of the grave under his own power with the keys of death and hell. And if you will invite him to be your savior. Now you say, well, Mark, I came from a Christian family. Listen, a cat, you know, cat can be born in a biscuit pan, but it doesn't make him a biscuit, right? I mean, 
You say, Mark, I was born in America, and America's a Christian country. I've got some oceanfront property I'd like to sell you in (laughs) Nebraska. No. If you will invite Jesus to be your Savior, you get his righteousness. He takes your sin. And you get the deal of a lifetime. I'm going to pray a prayer. You know, here's the thing. It's not magic words. The Bible gives us the word believe. Prayer is just an exercise of believing. The Bible says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm going to give you a chance. These aren't magic words, but if you decide you want to say them and you mean them from your heart, God will hear your prayer. You ready? Let's pray. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. And I believe Jesus died for my sins. And I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I want Jesus as my Savior and King. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you just pray with me, say, Mark, I don't know exactly what happened to me. I just prayed with you. I know that that happens for many of us. I want to give you a gift. There's a new Bible in here just like I preach from. There's a journal and a book that I wrote that will answer a lot of questions called My New Walk with God. Take out your phone. If you just pray with me, text the word prayed, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. One more time, text prayed to 97,000. Go out into the concourse if you're on campus. Any of the concourses that have this color, you can stop, and they will have your Bible ready for you. You say, Mark, I don't have my phone. Just go back and say, I pray with Mark. That's all it takes. We'll see you very soon. God bless. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.